0: Would you please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4? Let me also say to all you mothers, happy Mother's Day. And uh, we, we appreciate you. There's so much sacrifice that has been made by you that children and even husbands don't fully understand. My wife says that uh, when the kids would cry in the middle of the night, she thought I was faking that I didn't hear it. And then she she realized I really didn't hear it. But that's, we're going to stick with that story. Um, and uh, no, it's uh, yeah, we're, we're we're grateful for all that you do, that uh, sometimes only God sees and knows. Well, let me pray as we get into God's Word. Father, as we approach your throne today, we want to first acknowledge that you are the great and awesome God who sits upon the throne of the universe, ruling and reigning supreme and sovereign. We come before you in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. We come today asking for help help to understand and apply the Word of God. I come asking for help to clearly communicate the Word of God For nothing that I have to say apart from what is accurate and reflects the truth of your word is worthy for me to speak and worthy for anyone to hear. And so we ask today that you will take your word, make it clear. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring with it conviction, encouragement, challenge, and help in applying it to our lives. Lord, we're thankful for mothers. Not only because none of us would be here without our mother, but the example that we saw growing up of sacrifice, of love, of concern and care that is a reflection of you, Lord. We know that no one is perfect in this life but the reflection of those qualities are representative, um, point to you and the perfect care and concern and love and faithfulness, sacrifice that you have made for us. Lord, we also do pray for those who are not able to be here because of illness, being in the hospital, um, being in, in, you know, unable to maybe drive a car and, and, and get here or whatever the reason is, Lord, we're thankful for the technology that we have to be able to stream the service for those who, who can't be here, um, and we pray for each one that is participating today. Lord, I also want to pray for our brothers and sisters meeting in other places of worship today in this community. Others who are standing in pulpits like this and who are teaching, bringing forth the Word of God, I pray that every one of us would be faithful to the Word. Faithful to dispense our responsibility. And that everyone. In the hearing of the Word of God today would be built up, challenged to live out the faith. Lord, we don't know how much time we have left before You call us home, before You return. But You've given us a mission that we are to fulfill, we are to live out until that day comes. May we be found faithful to be disciples of Jesus Christ who who are looking for opportunities to pour into others, disciple others to Christ, in Christ, to maturity. We also do lift up the, uh, the Supreme Court justices who are who are being bombarded now because of this leak. You know, we know that the enemy is always trying to thwart the things that would honor Christ. Lord, I am I'm am reminded as I consider that this is happening, this reality that they are considering this and it it looks as if this may be overturned during the presidency of one of the most pro-abortion presidents we've ever had. Which reminds me, Lord, that you don't, you don't need to have people in office to accomplish your purposes. Because you're sovereign. Lord, we pray that you will raise up godly men and women to serve in positions of authority in this nation, because a nation that honors the Lord will be blessed. And so we want to do our part as opportunity comes. Certainly we want to pray for your will to be done here on earth in this place as it is being done in heaven. Thank you for your word that helps us as your people who take seriously the word of God, helps us to know who you are and how we are to live our lives. May we be found faithful to live it out. We commit this time into your hands. Be glorified as you send forth your word and come back having accomplished its purpose. For it's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, the story is told. And I've told this story a few times. Some of you may be familiar with it. But the story is told of a bird that was flying south for the winter. The rest of the flock had gone on before, and this bird was, was late. And so heads out to, head, to fly south. Well, the weather changed quickly. The rain turned into freezing rain and sleet, and this poor bird's wings began to get clogged up with ice, and this bird could not continue to flap its wings, and so it, it was able to have enough strength to glide down into to the ground and land it in a barnyard. And this poor bird thinks it's going to freeze to death in this barnyard and just sitting there shivering, and all of a sudden a cow walks up and right on top of it. And this poor bird sang "God!" You've got to be kidding me. Isn't it bad enough that I've got to die uh, this, this freezing to death death, but you've got to humiliate me by having this cow drop dung right on top of me? I mean, I can't imagine a more worse condition. And as this bird is complaining to God, it begins to realize that the warmth of the manure is actually thawing his wings out. He starts to get excited, thinking, God has answered my prayer, right? And he starts flapping his wings and starts chirping and, and making all kinds of noise, thinking something's got to hear me and come and dig me out. And lo and behold, the cat hears the bird's cry for help. And so the cat comes out, finds the bird covered in this cow manure, digs the, cat out, or digs the bird out, cleans it all up. And this bird's thinking, God has answered my prayer's I'm going to be set free, and I'm going to be able to fly south for the winter. And then after that, the cat ate the bird. The moral of the story is this, that in life, not everyone who dumps, dumps manure on you is your enemy. Secondly, not everybody who digs you out is your friend. And thirdly, when you're in the manure pile, keep your mouth shut. Well, today we want to talk about the secret of contentment. Being content in whatever circumstances God has allowed you to be in. We looked last week at Philippians four ten through 20 and looked at the overall uh, teaching here regarding contentment. Um, the matter of giving and, and receiving. And, and we talked about how to biblically um, give and the purposes for giving. And we talked about how to biblically receive when others give to you. And you are the recipient of somebody else's kindness and generosity. How we do that, Paul has taught us how to do that in this passage. And we're grateful for that. Today we want to look at verses 10-13 through 13, more specifically. And this issue of contentment, he writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along. With humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. The secret of contentment. It is a secret. Uh, the word means mystery. It's, it's kind of a mystery. Not everybody understands it. Not everybody gets it and lives it. But we as followers of Christ need to understand what contentment is and, and how God brings it about in our lives. Well, as we look at this passage, we, we see, first of all, a couple of truths that stand out about what um, contentment does not depend upon. First of all, contentment is not dependent upon our external circumstances. In other words, contentment is not about whether things are going well for you or not. In fact, the word that's used here is typically used of God. It actually means to be all-sufficient or self-sufficient. And only God is all-sufficient or self-sufficient. Only God exists having no dependence whatsoever on any of his creation. Or anything else for that matter. God is all-sufficient in himself. When it talks about um, uh, us experiencing contentment, as, as Paul expresses here, it came to mean independent of external circumstances. In other words, you are sufficient regardless of the circumstances. Not that you were sufficient in yourself, but you were not dependent upon things going well for you in order to be sufficient or to be content. Paul understands that, and Paul has learned this issue of contentment in that way. As I look at verse 11, there are a couple of truths about contentment that I want to point out. First is that contentment is a disciplined or determined attitude. Paul has made a determined attitude that he he is going to be content. Whatever the circumstances are. He says, I knew how to get along. I know how to get along when things are not so good. I know how to get along when things are really good. When I have an abundance, when I have a real need. It's an attitude that he has. Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs, who lived in the 1600s, wrote a little book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, and in it he defines contentment this way, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Let me read that again. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. It's an ability to trust God who is all-wise and as a father is working a plan for his children, regardless of the circumstances. One commentator in writing about this says, Paul is speaking personally in these verses, and he testifies that enough and contentment are relative terms. Relative to what we ourselves, we feel ourselves to need. He says, there is a discipline of self whereby one does not need more than one has. So there's that attitude. God is in control of my life, therefore God is my provider, and God has provided this for me. Therefore, this must be enough for me. I am content with what I have. Rather than worrying and and being anxious about the fact that you don't have enough, or that God has somehow failed you, or or whatever, and the circumstances are such that that things are out of control. No, they're not out of control. Maybe out of your seeming control, but they're not out of His control. And so it is a disciplined attitude to say what God has provided is enough. It's sufficient. Even though somebody I look to has more than me, uh, I'm content with what I have. Because it's enough. Because this is what God has supplied for me. It's a disciplined attitude. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul helps us understand how he learned this. As he talks in this passage about learning contentment. In 2 Corinthians 12, you remember Paul is talking about this thorn in his flesh. We don't, he doesn't tell us what it is. Many have speculated, and maybe it's his eyesight, because in other passages he talks about how he, he had a, an issue with his eyes. Maybe that's his thorn in the flesh, can't see real well. Uh, others have said maybe it's a, a struggle, a spiritual struggle, a temptation or, or a sin issue in Paul's life that, that he struggled with. And I guess that's a possibility. Many believe, based on the wording of what he uses, there, being a messenger of Satan, that Paul is actually talking about other people. People who are a real pain in the you-know-what. Paul had them just like you and I have them. They were difficult to deal with. And so, whatever the thorn in the flesh was, Paul prayed that God would take it from him. I don't know what that means about people, (laughs) he's saying, oh God, take him out. Or if he's just saying, get him out of my life. But Paul prayed over and over and over again that God would remove the thorn in the flesh. And God's response was not to remove it, but what to say this. And we, we know these very familiar words in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. And then Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ might dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, For when I'm weak, then I am strong. God says, yeah, Paul, you've got people in your life who are real difficult to deal with. I'm not going to remove them. I'm just going to give you the grace to deal with them. And Paul says, bring it on. Because I'm well content in the circumstances because I believe God has me in these circumstances and he knows that I am right where he wants me to be. It's a disciplined attitude. We don't think this way necessarily in our, in our flesh. right? First thing we want to do when we're dealing with difficult um, problems, difficult problem people, whatever it is, we want to get out. We want God to get us out. We, we cry out for help to get out of it. Um, what if God said to you in the, the difficult thing you're going through, I'm not taking you out. Grace is sufficient. Are you content with that? It doesn't come natural, but it's a disciplined or determined attitude. Secondly, contentment is a learned behavior. Paul says, I've learned to be content. And in verse 12, I've learned the secret. Actually, there's two different words that's used there. The first one, speaks about a new condition. Paul, Paul is talking there in verse 11. I've learned, and it's, a, it's an aorist tense, a past tense issue, it's happened. Paul says, I learned this. It's a new condition. Um, many believe he's just talking about his conversion, that, that prior to his conversion, Paul was very discontented, and he was certainly advancing in, in uh, Pharisaism. He talks about in Galatians 1, how he was advancing in the ranks beyond many of those that were his own age. He was just moving up the ladder. There probably was a level of discontent in the Apostle before he was an Apostle. When he came to Christ, he realized and he learned to have a different mindset, a different way. And so this is really a new condition, a a different way that he learned it, to behave differently. But then in verse 12 when it says, have learned the secret, there's a different word here and implies more of this issue of moving up um, in ranks uh, and by experience. It's a progression. In fact, um, one commentator said this the second term, I've learned the secret. He talks, uh, the, the Greek mystery religions use this word to describe people who work their way up through the various lower degrees and have finally been admitted into full possession of the mystery itself. Paul says, I have made my way up through the degrees of progressive detachment from the things of this world to its com- comforts and discomforts alike, and finally have reached maturity at this stage. I know the secret. Circumstances can never again touch me. Thus, contentment is the mark of a maturing believer and an objective to, the cultiva- an objective to be cultivated by all believers who want to grow in Christ. This is something we learn over time. Starts with that attitude. I'm going to have an attitude of contentment, but then I'm learning it as I'm walking through the circumstances that I'm in. As I'm learning this contentment, I'm growing up in Christ, I'm maturing. So contentment is not dependent upon our external circumstances, though God often will use external circumstances to grow us up and to teach us. But it's not dependent on it. Secondly, in verse 12, we see that contentment is not dependent upon our financial resources. It's not about how much you have or how little you have. Paul says, I know how to get along with humble means, that is, with very little. I also know how to live in prosperity with an overabundance, more than I need. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled, going hungry, having abundance, suffering need. Paul says, I have learned how to live contentedly no matter what my financial situation is at the present time. Poverty and wealth both have their own set of temptations. And so it's not necessarily easier to be content when you have a lot of stuff as opposed to having very little or vice versa. In fact, there's a a passage in Proverbs 30 that speaks to this very issue. Proverbs 30 verses 7 through 9. The writer says this, two things I've asked of thee, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. And then he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. In other words, give me what I need. And then the next verse says, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Both have their own temptations. When we have a lot of stuff, we can be tempted to no longer look to the Lord to provide. We think we've provided it. We think we have it. Like the story of the rich landowner who, whose, whose land was very productive. And instead of being rich toward God, he decides to tear down his barns and build bigger ones and, and store it all up for himself and then take his ease, and God says, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And he says, this is how it will be for those who store up for themselves and are not rich toward God. There is a temptation to hoard when we have an abundance. There is a temptation to think, I did all this, it all belongs to me. There's also... The more you have, it seems the more tempted we are to want more and more and more. And so having an abundance does not guarantee contentment biblically because we deny the Lord. And then he says, don't give me poverty lest I steal and dishonor God. Having very little can produce a, a greed or a, a covetousness of what other people have, an envy. You look around, you see the things that other people can afford, if they can afford it, at least they have it. Um, and you look at it and you say, oh, man, why can't I have? Why, I really wish, and, and this discontent grows. It's a learned behavior, as we said. But it's not dependent on financial circumstances. You remember the quote from Wearsby I, I, I read last week, and that is prosperity has done more damage to believers than has adversity. And we can sit here and say, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah I can see that in people who are prosperous. When I was in seminary, I had a professor uh, who was a, uh, a missionary that had come off the field for a time, and he, he taught this class. He made a statement. I've never, done, I've never looked to see, if, if to verify his, his statistic, but I, I have to believe that it's at least close, if not. He says, if you can even consider retiring one day, not even that you will retire, but if you can even think about retiring or even consider that as a possibility that you, one day you will stop working and live on the money you have saved up, you are among the 1% highest richest people in the world. So it's easy for us to look around and see people who have more than us and say, well, I'm not wealthy. I'm not prosperous. Oh, but we are, every one of us, in comparison to the world. And we've got to at least consider this statement by Warren Wearsby. Prosperity has done more damage to believers than has adversity. And so we've got to at least say, Lord... Have I become, uh, have I fallen into a temptation that, that having resources brings about? Or am I truly content and am I honoring the Lord with what I have? Secondly, we should live within the means that God has entrusted to us, He has entrusted a certain amount to each one of us. certain level of, of financial resources he's entrusted to us. And we need to learn to be content and to live within the means of what he has provided for us. A few passages in the New Testament that speak about contentment, that speak to this issue. Luke three fourteen, John the Baptist was speaking to the crowds and, and says that some of the soldiers were questioning him, asking basically, what about us? What do you have for us? What can we learn? And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. They wielded the sword as Roman soldiers. And many times they would use that authority to their own personal benefit. And John says, If you want to honor God, be content with your wages and don't overabuse, overstep and abuse your, your power. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 12, Paul writes, godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it either. And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. He says, "But Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life, which you are called And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul's not saying it's a sin to have money. He's saying it's the love of money. It's it's that we want to continue to get rich for the sake of being rich and having stuff. I know people uh, who begin to learn the joy of giving. And they find that the more money I make, the more I can give. And so they desire to make more money so they can give more money away. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about wanting it selfishly for ourselves. And then in Hebrews 13, it says, Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So we have stuff. We have an abundance of stuff certainly more than we need. And we're allowed to enjoy the nice things of this world. But we must never forget that we are stewards of all God's gifts, whether they're financial or time or or talents, whatever the gifts that God has given, and we should honor Him with them all. So contentment is not dependent upon whether you have a lot or have a little financial resources. So what is it dependent upon? Contentment is dependent upon our relationship with God. Look again at verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Why? Because you've revived your concern for me. And I know you've been concerned the whole time, but you lacked opportunity. And, and so even though Paul is rejoicing in the Lord, that now they're giving to his ministry, you don't see a desperation here in a, a desperate relief that, oh my goodness, finally, you're able to help me. You don't see that. In fact, he says, not that I speak from want, I've learned to be content. His concern is, as we went on and, and, and looked at last week was for their prophet. He said, not that I look for the gift, but I'm, I'm excited for the prophet that comes to you, Philippians, for giving because there's such a blessing that comes when we give. Paul is content. It's about his relationship with God. And so we see that, first of all, we should trust in the sovereignty of God. We should trust that God is in control. He knows what he's doing. And again, he's providing for our needs. And what we have, what God has provided, is enough. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Trusting God, Even When It Hurts, defines sovereignty. He says, this is the essence of God's sovereignty, His absolute independence to do as He pleases and His absolute control over the actions of all of His creatures no creature, person, or empire can either thwart His will or act outside of the bounds of His sovereign will. He's in control. We can trust that. We can trust Him. <clears throat> and He is in control. And in this case, Paul is saying, I'm excited about the fact that you revived your concern because of what that means, that you get to participate in the work that God is doing. I rejoice in that. but I've been trusting God the whole time. You weren't giving, and I'm trusting him now that you are giving, and I will trust him when this is all done because I trust in him. He's in control. See, that's where contentment comes. Believing this at a core level. And then we see in verse 13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. We see that we have the ability to do all that we've been called to do. I can do everything through Him who strengthens me. And I, I, I would say that obviously within that is the context of what God has called you to do. Paul's not saying I can I can jump over tall buildings and You know, Superman here. He's saying, I can do everything really that God has called me to do. Everything that God has set before me to do, I can do anything through him who strengthens me. We have the ability to do the things God has called us to do. That's what that word do means, to have strength, to have ability. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has good works for you and I to do. We're walking them. <clears throat> we have the ability to do that through Christ. There may be things that other people have been called to do. You haven't been called to do. And they can do it in his strength. But that isn't what you're called to do. But you have the ability. I have the ability to do all that God has called us to do. And it is through him. That brings our third point. Our strength is, or comes through Christ. Our relationship with Christ. you don't have a relationship with Christ, you don't have this guarantee. Because it comes through Him. Through our relationship with Him. He strengthens us. He puts strength into us, is what the word means. He is able to do that. In fact, verse 19, we're going to look in greater detail next week at verse 19. But it says, And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God's going to give you the strength that you need according to his riches. What are his riches? Are his riches limited? He will strengthen. He will put strength into you. He will supply that. Paul has the confidence to say that to them. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays a prayer for this kind of strength. It's a great prayer, a great prayer to pray for ourselves, to pray for others. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And this is what he prays, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. That requires something. You're yielding to the Spirit because it's through the Spirit that the power comes. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's not talking about unbelievers who need Christ to dwell in their hearts. He's talking to believers who need Christ to be at home in our heart, to take up residence there and make it His throne so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What a great prayer. God would so invade your life and so have control over you, and He would give you the strength you need to do everything God has called you to do, and He would take up residence in your heart so that you would understand to a greater degree the love God has for you, and to give you everything you need so that the fullness of God is made evident within your life. And then He utters this benediction that you know very well. You hear it every Sunday. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundant, right? This is the one we pray to, we ask to put power into us, Not to him who is able to do exceeding abundant beyond all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations forever. And ever. This is the God we look to. This is the God we trust in for this ability. It's through a relationship with Him. It's through a dependence upon Him daily. As we're walking this journey, understanding it doesn't depend upon my external circumstances. It doesn't depend on my financial resources. What it depends on is my relationship with God. That I trust Him. That He knows what He's doing. He provides all that I need and that's enough. I know He's in control of all things, so I trust Him whatever situation I'm in, whatever financial resources He's entrusted me to. I have the ability to do everything Christ has called me to do, and that ability comes through Christ. And so I daily come to Him and ask for that help. Here's the bottom line. Contentment is the evidence of spiritually maturing believers. You, when you are living this, when you are working at this, and you are learning this behavior, and you're determined in this attitude, and you are trusting the sovereignty of God, and you're going to Him and asking for help, you are growing up, and that contentment you experience is evidence of that spiritually maturing work God is doing in your life. And others will see it and understand. There's something about you that I don't see among the average person in and outside of the church. What is it? (laughs) And you have the opportunity to answer that question. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the one who is in control of me. His name is Jesus Christ. Can I introduce you to him? Can I tell you about him? Our testimony, the way we live, and the evidence of that that other people see and experience by being in a relationship with us provides the opportunity for us to speak about Jesus. Father, help us. Help us to understand this path to the secret of contentment. Give us a a desire, a want to, to move in this direction. To continue to cultivate this in our life. Lord, I'm, I'm reminded of the phrase in the song we sang earlier. My love is often cold. hold us fast. <laughs> Lord, I confess to you that I, I at times lack contentment. Especially when I have to go buy another vehicle. <laughs> I Always want something newer, more expensive than I can afford. And i got to learn it again. Lord. And so thank you that you are a gracious and patient with us, but you keep growing us. Keep working. And Lord, you know each one of us uniquely and individually. You know what particular areas we struggle with contentment. Oh, Lord, would you work in us? Glory to your holy name and for the good of us, your people. For this we give you thanks.